lovely listeners, welcome to episode 128 of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. I don't know where those trumpets came from. Uh, I am your titular Stace and joining me in the parlour this month is returning champion. Uh, you might remember her from such notable episodes as episode 112, Nashers in a Ham Wallet, or episode 38, where we both lost our minds over Charlie Cox's chin. It's my very good friend and delightful lady, Jenny Newman. Hello. Hi, hi. How's it going? Did it help? Was that, how many is that? 120? 128. 128. It's a lot, isn't it? Shit, yeah. It's a lot. It is. Well done. Thanks. I mean, it, it's probably more than that if you count the fact that the first live parlour yeah, I think I just called all twelve episodes of that episode thirty-three or whatever it was. So, <laughs> so you know, there's actually been a lot more physical episodes, but it doesn't—it doesn't matter. It's still good. It's all still good. good. Bloody um, good. And some of the episodes that you've been on have been some of the best ones. Yeah. Not to like, you know, <laughs> denigrate all my other guests or <laughs> what have you, but um, Jenny brings out the giggly twat in me. So. <laughs> I did re-listen to our Halloween episode that we did, like, Halloween. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was just listening to that, as you do, you know, when you're working. And um, it just got to the bit towards the end of it where I think you were saying something like, you know, Michael, he just had a lovely time at the park. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what you did, didn't he? Yeah, he was having a good, uh, good bit of fun, you yeah. know, doing doing a murder on a roundabout and what have you. I laughed. Lovely. So- lovely time well this is sort of going to turn into a bit of an impromptu halloween episode in march because there's been a weird number of horror movies come out at the start of this year but before we get there how the bloody hell are you jenna are you good i'm all right yeah i'm not i'm not i feel a bit a little bit tired so this is gonna affect how um my thought process works so it's going to be right. it's going to be so good i just did a covid test so i thought have you got covid is that why because you were <laughs> I, I went to a meeting on sunday evening with some some friends who run a a, a youth theater company and before i had the meeting with them they ran a full day rehearsal so you know they were kids otherwise known as breeders so <laughs> slightly concerned have a bit of a throat but i was like do you know what it's probably just your hay fever and you're working a lot because I'm doing some freelance and as well as my work work. So, but it's good stuff. It's all okay. One of them pays. It's fine. <laughs> I uh, I have that that weird thing with COVID at the moment where um so I'm always tired because I'm I've sort of got insomnia. Mm. So I'm pretty much always tired because I've never slept enough. So I've always got this like baseline level of like exhaustion. Uh, so then whenever I get basically one other symptom, I'm like, this is it. I've got it. It's come yeah. for me. It's come for me. Um, but also a little tiny part of me thinks I might be invincible because it's now been like two and a, two and a bit years yeah and I, and I seem to be the only person I know that hasn't ever had it <laughs> it's like that mum's had it dad and I didn't get it you know yeah. and we're all in the same house and I'm one of a few of my friends I mean granted I'm not like some of my mates who are going out to rehearsals going out having a good time and everything I mean to be fair to them they enjoy that I don't so I don't mm-hmm. go but yeah, I, there is part of me that's thinking, you're just going to get it eventually, Jen, and you're just going to have to get on with it. Yeah, I'm 
I am going to my first post. I say post COVID. COVID is still very much a thing. We're not post shit, but I'm going to my first gig mm-hmm. uh, in April. I'm very scared. <laughs> Yeah. Bought the tickets when we thought everything was settling down a bit, but then the government were like, "How about no restrictions?" and things stopped settling down a bit. So I'm going to see Ghost, which is very exciting. Cool. Um, because I've never seen them before, and they're a very exciting band, and their new album is fucking so good. Oh my god, it's so good. Everybody go and listen to it. It's great. Um, um, one song which you introduced me to because it was on Halloween kills yes the halloween kills soundtrack the um the new album it's got that song on it um oh. but it's also got oh mate it's just so good you know, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna write it down in my little notebook and i'm gonna put it on my playlist tomorrow when i'm working oh nice there's a particular song called watcher in the sky that i really like but this isn't the song segment and that's not the song okay, i was gonna that later. <laughs> that's not the song i was gonna pick anyway because i've already picked two ghost songs previously and i just think it's getting excessive now but anyway so i'm very excited but i'm also terrified because it's not a small gig either it's not like it's going to be like i don't know in a pub with like 20 other people it's going to be at the national exhibition center in the big whacking great arena uh so i'm frightened (laughs) but i'm sort of at that stage now where i'm like maybe you need to just get it uh and either die uh, which is impossible because I am a disaster of a human being or, you know, uh, hopefully all the vaccines and things that I will do their business mm. and I'll be just mildly ill. And then I can be like, oh, whew, I don't have to worry about it anymore, because <laughs> that's the thing that's getting me more than anything. Yeah. No, is the constantly worrying about it. Yeah. Like that person just sneezed when they need to me for me to catch droplets. <laughs> Hear me? I mean, you think no, that's that's not a COVID cough. That's a smoker's cough. There's a difference. There's a baseline difference. Yeah. But I'm exactly yeah. the same. And I've I've been to the cinema a bit. I've been to the theatre. Went to the theatre last year, and I wore a mask throughout. And you know, and I still wear a mask when I'm in inside shops. Um, me too. Pretty much outside in the street because I'm outside, unless it's a very like um like a packed side street, yeah. sidewalk, or whatever. Then I I will wear a mask because I just. I just feel more comfortable. And as long as I feel comfortable, that's all that really matters. Um, And else can just do one if they don't agree, quite honestly. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is the thing. If you don't want to wear a mask, I was going to say that's fine. But, like, it's kind of not because there are a lot of immunocompromised people around. But, you know, anyway, let's let's get off this topic. Should we do it? Everybody's heard everything about COVID. Nobody needs to hear any more about how anxious I am about wrapping up germs. People, so, you know, just... Yeah. There you go. We're scared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So here we are in March and um, a new screen mover... Yeah. Has, graced, has graced our eyeballs. Let's talk about that. Ah, oh. do you know how when we were chatting about Halloween 2018, or mm-hmm. the, the name that I don't like to mention too often in one sentence, but that yeah. was 2020, 2021. Is it Candyman? 21, I think. And it's the same with Scream because for this Scream for 2022, although I, th- I feel like it came out 21. In America, but I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's another one where it's like, why didn't you just call it Screen Five? But no, you've called yeah. it Screen, and now I have to say Screen 2022, and it's just. <sighs> 
it is very annoying it's mm. one of those things as well where i was like you know how after everybody had a little brain melt about the fact that scream 4 was written like s-c-r-e 4m yeah. like yeah. There was so much room there to put five cream, lads. I just don't know why you didn't. <laughs> it's funny because I missed all of that discourse about the whole screen four, the way they wrote it. I, just, I thought, yeah, I like that. It's cool. It's well played. Scriforum. Yeah, Scriforum's a pretty good film, to yeah. be fair. Yeah. So how did you feel, Jenny, about Screen 5. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call it Screen 5 because I can't be bothered to keep also trying to remember what year Screen came out to be able to go, well, the 1990-whatever Screen. <laughs> I want to say it was 96 because I wrote about it, but then sometimes it wasn't 94. I'm pretty sure. doesn't matter. Let's go Screen 5. Easy. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. <laughs> and I have seen some people that were not so keen and did not enjoy it. And I'm like, well, that's your opinion, but it was awesome. <laughs> But I know I did really. They, I. Mm, I <laughs> no, you sound like you're going back on your own like of it almost immediately. <laughs> I was going to say a niggle, but I'm going to leave a niggle for later because mm-hmm. I just want to say like it was enjoyable. I had I thought some of the some of the kills were really great. Some of them were oh mm-hmm. sad. Some of them like <laughs> about time, dude. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked the idea of going back to Woodsboro again. And some of the set pieces and the way that they set things up. So so the pre-credit setup with the young girl and I do not remember her name. Um, I want to say her name was Tara, but I don't really know. <laughs> she was the, the sister girl, wasn't she? Yeah, and then there she was, was, her sister was Sam. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She was the younger sister. Mm-hmm. And what I really love, and I because I've watched it, uh twice now maybe maybe three times but what i also really liked about that was how much it was emulating or maybe an homage to the original screen because mm-hmm. the the girl was wearing a similar jumper and everything to drew barrymore from the first screen movie and little things like she was talking on the phone to the killer who she didn't you know obviously know like like they never do uh, i don't understand how <laughs> Um, not knowing she was talking to a killer, thinking she was talking to what, some kind of counsellor or AA counsellor guy or something for her mum. And um, she was just playing with the kitchen knives, you know, lifting them up out of the block and dropping them down. It's like, oh, nice. That's a complete callback straight back to screen one. Mm-hmm. You know? And bits like that. I I mean, spoilerific, guys. I'm gonna just going to say spoil, spoilerific because it's been out. Of, it's been out not long enough now, hasn't it? I think so. It's been a bit. By the time this comes out, it'll be about a month, I think. Yeah. So I was surprised that she survived the attack, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, so I had, oh God. So overall, I liked this film, but I had some pretty big problems with it. Yeah. Um, and one of those for me was how referential it was to Scream, because I think the little nods like the knife block and the similar jumpers, uh, and even that whole cold open being sort of, you know, very mirrored with the yeah. 90s Scream. Yeah, I really liked that. But what I what I didn't like is that they there became bits of the film where things became very predictable mm. because they were too heavily relying on what came before. So as an example, there's a scene uh, very much later in the movie where one of the girls is uh, sitting on the sofa and she's watching the stab movie, and it's the bit where the guy whose name I can't remember is sitting on the sofa watching Halloween and yelling at it's Randy. Yeah. 
Randy, yes, and he's yelling at the screen, like, turn around, he's behind, why don't you look behind you? Oh, my God, you're such a bellend. And so she's watching him doing that, going, oh, why don't you turn around? Like, oh, da, da. And, of course, Ghostface is creeping in the background. And I said to Rich, the instant Ghostface appeared, I was like, she's actually going to turn around, like, we all know this, because that's they can't just have a scene where she doesn't turn around and the exact scene happens again. Like, she's going to turn. So then it kind of sort of, to me, sort of ruined the... I don't know, like the surprise a bit. Like it felt a bit sort of like I don't know, like if that scene had been Yeah. No, I get a bit less similar, maybe I wouldn't have known where it was going. And there was a few bits like that for me. In a different angle it would have been great. Because I I think I said to you before, I figured out who one of the killers was very early in the film. Really early in the film, because Mm -hmm. of the way that character acted around other people. And kind of thought I knew who the second killer was and then they kind of threw a little bit of a red herring and I thought oh maybe it isn't but then it turned out nope definitely was yeah and so that was that was kind of a shame because that just felt too easy and and too obvious because you had the the friend Amber who was one of the killers but straight off the bat the way that she reacted to um Sam the older sister her Mm -hmm. back and the way she mothered Tara and everything is just it was too obvious to me that oh we all the killer then aren't you yeah we me and rich when we were watching it he turned to me uh, she'd only been in it maybe 30 seconds and he was like she's a, she's one of them and i was like yeah so's the boyfriend yeah always i'm always suspicious of the boyfriend <laughs> even though there was a, there was a moment i thought oh maybe it isn't it's like no nope, there it is was it was it the legitimate best reaction moment in any scream film ever where somebody kicks the door in and he shouts holy shit it's ghost face yeah and like loses his mind yeah that that reaction to me absolutely made this film i was like yes because here's the thing right i know uh, i say this a lot i'm not expecting like tip-top realism from any movie really unless it's a fucking documentary style do you know what i mean but like a lot of horror movies People act far too chill, I think, for what's happening. So, like, people are just casually sitting around discussing. Like, in this, there's a sequence where they're all discussing who of them might actually be the killer. And they're so fucking casual about it. They're like, well, it could be you. I, I, don't, I don't think I saw you in the set, you know, blah, blah, blah. Where were you when such and such, you know? And I'm like, hold on. You're, le- you're legitimately sitting here having a discussion about how somebody in here might be plotting your murder at this very minute and none of you are shitting yourselves because <laughs> i would be like if it was me i'd be like do you know what i don't live in woodsbury anymore bye lads I'm <laughs> like i'm not having i'm not having any of this suspecting my friends of murder and only finding out when they actually murder me i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna remove myself from the equation like baffling so when when that door gets kicked open and he proper shits it i was crying laughing because i was like yes that is how a human person should react to a ghost face absolutely wonderful i mean i so all right so one of the niggles for me was that although this wasn't about the original cast or the og cast as the kids like to call it today i didn't think there was enough of them Mm. well there was a good amount of dewey but I felt actually more sorry for Dewey and it was kind of a release that he got killed in the end, to be fair. <laughs> but because I really, I really, really love the character of Sydney and I felt like that she was a, not completely tapped for this 
film. But I understood why, because it's trying to set up a whole new trilogy that doesn't necessarily involve them. And I think if this was to be the last time we saw Gail and definitely obviously Dewey and Sydney, then that's okay because now maybe it is time to leave them and move on. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that um, Nev Campbell kind of had rules of, of what they could and couldn't do with Sydney. Like she couldn't become the killer and she couldn't be killed apparently because she understands that from the fan community and, 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 and all around these films that Sydney is held up as such a survivor of everything and means so much to so many different people that she didn't want that to happen to the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, screw the others, but not Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was one of the things that sort of got me about the usage of the original cast because I was quite excited by the idea of them all coming back. Yeah. Because, and I'm not even that big of a fan of any of them. I mean, I think <laughs> Nick Campbell's a good Sydney, but I don't think I could even name you another film that she's in. Yeah. Like, um. So uh, the problem for me with them was that I felt that they were used in a very predictable way. Again, it came came back to being predictable. And I was like, if you're going to be this predictable, you need to be much more exciting and interesting and fun so that at least I'm getting that out of it. Because to me, it was like the instant that Dewey set foot in the movie, I was like, he's dead. He's so dead. Um, And all I kept thinking then was, I really hope they kill Gail instead. So I was like, if they're luring you into thinking it's going to be Dewey, then then Gail does a dead. And that would like break his fucking heart. And he'd go apeshit on the ghost faces. I'd be like, that'd be that'd be great. That would. Um, But of course, they went down the route of like, let's kill Dewey. Let's kill Dewey because he hasn't really got a life outside of this. So it doesn't really necessarily like matter. That's too much. And we've, you know, we've we've stabbed him up so many times anyway. (laughs) He shouldn't have survived the last two or three movies yeah um, the, um, yeah the other the other sort of big thing that bothered me and this is the thing that bothers me about a lot of films that are being made now so maybe this is maybe this is me or maybe it's just like the film industry really needs to fucking book its ideas up but i find and i don't know who wrote this film so i can't speculate upon their you know background or whatever but i find that a lot of films that try to write sort of today's teenagers Mm. are so focused on quote unquote being woke that they make all of the characters completely fucking insufferable because like for example that opening sequence with tara where he asks you know what's your favorite scary movie and she's like oh the babadook Mm -hmm. like I know I know you hate that movie, but I fucking I fucking love that movie. But hearing her talk about it made me think like, oh, is that what I sound like when I'm talking about how much I like that movie? Because she sounded like a cunt. (laughs) And I was like, I hope Ghostface does you a stab because that'd be great. What I did like about it in terms of bringing it into sort of like the modern day, though, was like all the sort of tech around the house because like you know how people in, are always saying like why do they go upstairs and like why don't they lock the door and she's there frantically trying to lock a door on her phone and it's like nope he's just gonna hack it <laughs> like okay that's clever and scary i feel like i loved all that tech side of it and i thought christ we really do have everything on tech mm-hmm. and all that blood is not helping her keeping the doors locked <laughs> but i do i do feel the same that the that some of the writing is just going it feels like it goes too far with with that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel natural. It feels like it feels like they're ticking boxes of things they now have to say. Yeah, and it's weird because like so I'm not I'm not 
per se like I'm I'm knocking on 37 Mm. um so you know maybe I'm the one that's out of touch but like it feels to me like every film has now got to be like we've got to have we've got to tick these boxes in terms of we've got to make sure that we say something about I don't know pronouns and we've got to make sure we say something about I don't know uh the patriarchy and it's like I get that these are important issues and a lot of people are talking about them more than previously, but the writing comes across to me like it's by somebody who doesn't know anything about any of those, understand how people talk about those things or why they talk about those things. And so the writing just comes off as almost like... it's true and disdainful of the of the characters like I don't don't know how to describe it but it just it made me cross because I was like these are things that I'm passionate about as well like I'm passionate about diversity and equal opportunities and like you know abolishing toxic masculinity and you know x y and z but I don't sit around and like constantly like I don't know admonish people for not using Mm. the correct pronoun or whatever like and that's not what the the majority of people do either but it, it's painting this picture of like that's what young people are is they're just they're constantly crossing and yeah. they're constantly like yelling and I don't, know, I don't know it just it felt it made me really dislike the characters which doesn't help you when you yeah, start no. rooting for a ghost face to do them a murder I know I had to <laughs> and I did root for a ghost face quite a lot with some of them it's like just yeah. let's just kill them because they're fucking winding me up yeah I had the same problem with Black Christmas 2019. Yes. Oh my God. Because I, 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 I studied it and, and, the, and the original does exactly the same thing for the 70s when that was released that the 2019 has done for like 2019 audience. It's just that the 74 version did it better and they did it far more intelligently. Yeah, it's about... it's about intelligence and it's about subtlety as well because i feel like black christmas 2019 not to put too fine a point on it but it bludgeoned you about the head with the message it was trying to deliver so hard that even i a staunch feminist was like this is too much (laughs) like this is you are women be crazy (laughs) the makers want it to be like jennifer's body and i can't stand jennifer's body either but they want it to be like that that it's misunderstood now but in a few years' time, people will get it. It's like, I, I do get it, though. I get exactly what you're trying to say, but I think you've gone about it in too heavy-handed a way. And then you completely destroyed your own point by bringing in this supernatural thing that the male toxicity that you're trying to destroy was actually this black, goopy stuff. That Literal toxic masculinity. Yeah, it's like you didn't need that. You didn't need that at all. You were doing a very good job of showing these young men being complete misogynistic assholes. You didn't need to show a physical toxic goo absorbing into their bodies, making them likely because you also took away their agency. So we were also saying that they're not in control of what they're thinking and saying and doing. So, as yeah, this, I think it is the intelligence and, like say, subtlety of other writers and other scripts that do those jobs much better. Mm-hmm. That don't just make you root for the killer to just come along and just fucking kill them. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's... um. If you make your entire cast sort of insufferable, then nobody's there's nobody's gonna care. Yeah. Um, what I did really like about about this scream is the absolute fucking brass balls on Ghostface in terms of operating basically wherever the fuck yeah. he or she wanted to, because <laughs> there are sequences in this film where in a fucking canteen at a hospital and Ghostface is just like hello from behind the door. <laughs> like, Oh, the bollocks on you. And, the, and like, uh, I mean, the one that I kind of 
they had to explain who the person was because I did not understand why they were important to be killed. But that that bloke who got killed in the car park and he was the nephew of Stu Mocker from the first movie. And it's like, oh, okay. He had barely any lines or any presence in the film apart from being some kind of greasy, gross ex that one of the girls had a summer relationship with. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a good kill. Don't get me wrong. But it was also, was it really needed just to have a link to Stu when you were going to link back to Stu anyway by having the final act in his house, like we did in the yeah. original one, which was yeah. a bit weird. But yeah, that some of the places that Ghostface turned up, I mean, in the copper, in the sheriff's house as well. And that was <laughs> that scene because every time I thought, go, you know, it's like, oh, Ghostface is going to show up. He's going to be, no, he's not there. Fuck it. There he's going to, no, he's not there. Where is he? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, the, I absolutely loved that scene because I was like, one of the one of the things I like about horror films that I think a lot of them are actually quite bad at is the tension of something coming rather than just the thing happening. So like a lot of films rely on the sort of like the gore and the attacks, which don't get me wrong, I do love. I don't think anybody will ever top Tatum getting her head stuck in a cat flap <laughs> and getting shut in the uh, in the garage door in the first scream. I, to be honest, I think that's one of the that's one of the best kills I've ever seen in my life. But that sequence where, like, he would open the fridge door and look in the fridge and then close it and you think, oh, he's going to be behind the fridge door and there's nothing there. And then he opens a cupboard and then he gets in there. And, there. and I was like, every every time they did that fake out, I was getting so much more tense because I was like, he's going to pop up soon and I'm going to shit myself. I'm going to actually shit myself on the sofa. It's going to be a disaster. I'm going to hate it. And then for them to do that fake out right to the point where actually he turns up in the garden and murders the sheriff, I was like, what? In broad daylight. What? <laughs> that was insane. Oh like, where is anyone to see this happening? So, I mean, the thing because uh, the frenzy stabs. The um the hospital sequence because a lot of people I saw online were complaining about how there's a bit where he's chasing Tara who's already been stabbed through the hospital and that's how it, like Dewey ends up dying and people are like where are all the doctors where are all the staff and I'm like that part. I don't mind so much because they, even though it's stupid and it would never happen, but yeah. they explain that away as being like, oh, uh, because she's, you know, being targeted by a killer, we've put her on like a private wing or whatever, yeah. Yeah. which is the opposite of safe. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would be like, no, no, general population for me, thank you, please and thank you, because I want as many people around me as humanly possible. But like, yeah, the one on the street it did tickle me. Like yeah. I say, absolute brass bollocks on them. Oh, yeah. Just murdering a sheriff in their garden (laughs) on their front stoop just and frenzy stab too i mean i did feel i mean it's sad in both ways because they named sheriff hicks son wes after wes craven Mm. anyway and then they killed him and it was really actually quite so i quite liked him yeah Yeah, me too tips hair hair coloring That's quite yeah. he got killed off. Um I hoped that some well, some of them did survive, Randy's niece and nephew. That's quite nice seeing Randy's sister again for like a split second. But because uh, I rem I, I watched number well, I still remember Screen Three really well and it is terrible and yet I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have not watched the Screen movies for a good couple of years. So I don't really remember any of them except to say that I think I think the fourth one was probably my second favourite. But now I would say that Scream 5, it depends on what day you catch me on. It would be second or third in the 
yeah. screen movie canon for me because um as much as like i'm whinging about you know the writing is a bit you know audible groan at times and like yes it is quite predictable but like you say it is very fun <laughs> uh, that's just the thing i mean i i mean scream scream one is obviously top dog and mm-hmm. i stu- two two is extremely good three is not so good but it's fun but i love four and i didn't I was, was I, I bought myself the Entertainment Weekly special on the screen movies and a, an interviewer said to Courtney Cox, so I just recently rewatched Screen 4. She's like, yeah, they're not all great. And I was thinking, what was wrong with Screen 4? Because I thought that was so much better than Screen 3 and or, 2 to an extent. Mm. But I thought Screen 4 was really good. There were some choice moments of acting that were kind of cringy funny on screen but they made sense but i really enjoyed four and i didn't didn't realize probably because i didn't look didn't look didn't realize there was some kind of now nah, that one was shit kind of thought about it because i just thought yeah, it no, I, I really like it i think it's good fun i i love sydney's aunt in screen four when just like tangent i know but when they go off and talk about sydney having scars and things and and her mum is like i have scars and they're like, no, we're talking about emotional scars or actual scars and emotional scars and something like that. But it amused me greatly. It was <laughs> sad when she died, but it was also kind of funny. <laughs> so. Well, this is the thing with Scream is that I think it's uh, like, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about this, but I think one of the great things about the original Scream is that it's very much fun. Yeah. Um, I don't think it takes itself too seriously, but it's also not like a joke. Like it's a legit you know good slasher film yeah and it's like a very thin line isn't it it's it it knows exactly what it is it is meta and some people complain that screen five is a bit too knowing Mm. but that's the point of the screen movies but it is that thin line of it knows what it is and it's having fun and it's busting open the genre and it did because then we had a plethora of similar teen horror slasher movies resurgence through the mid mid to late 90s Mm. from but they are just, they're just good fun. And what do we need more at the moment than just well, escapism and fun, you know? Yeah. But then, um, <laughs> were you thinking of chatting about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes, I was. I was. Um, and Sorry, uh, you had this is... <laughs> but this is, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre is again it's another one that's just called Texas Chainsaw Massacre even though it is technically a sequel to the first film yeah it ignores all the other like seven however yeah. many there are of uh, the Texas Chainsaws but it's still technically a sequel so I don't know why it's just called Texas Chainsaw Massacre but that is a, a rant for another day this film is really baffling to me in the sense that it's shit like it's ge- <laughs> it's genuine shit but also, it's really fucking short, and there's a lot of massacring in it, which I kind of liked. So it's really hard for me to sort of rate it because, like, if you were to say to me, "Should I watch it?" I would say mm, no. <laughs> but if you were to say to me, "Did you enjoy? Did you have fun?" I would say, "Well, actually, kind of, yeah." But again, I think it's I don't I don't think I don't think I received the film as it was intended to be presented to me in the sense that, yet again, I found every single character in this insufferable and couldn't wait for them to get murdered. And so the enjoyment I got from this film was a thousand percent just from watching them all get murdered. (laughs) I was the same because our protagonists, I was like, God, I can't stand any of you. You're all pretentious assholes and you deserve to die. I'm sorry, but it turns out that the woman did actually still have the deeds to the house. 
you all deserve to die. <laughs> Even <laughs> the annoying one, um, the one who was meant to be our final, well, she was our final girl in the end. Mm. Well, that character baffled me a bit because they kept sort of hinting at the fact that they were like kind of shy and nervous and stuff through like us i keep saying they because i'm not actually sure if she was a she in the film or not so i don't want yeah. to get it wrong but um I, I could be i could be getting it wrong but anyway but that so they've gone through like a school shooting situation and they kept bringing this up in the film but never actually like Expand. dealt with any of it yeah. so that that felt really cheap to me and that was one of the things that i did not like mm. um like categorically did not like the plot of it doesn't make a lick of fucking sense Nope. Um, it's about a group of well, they they seem like teens, but I assume they're in. I their, assume they've got to be at least in their twenties because they're basically yeah, they're basically like buying up an entire like fucking ghost town and then trying to gentrify it, which immediately doesn't really make me like you. But especially so when you turn up to said place the day you're supposed to be showing it, even though you haven't done any sort of works on making it presentable mm. and then you kick somebody out of the house that they still actually technically own yeah. and um and just generally like dick all over everything that's happening there it doesn't really warm me to you at all yeah. um but i will i will say mm. there's a sequence where everybody's trapped on a bus <laughs> <laughs> with old leatherface and, uh, and it's glorious <laughs> there's so much fake blood in that sequence they must have had some fun filming that because they would have just been like squirting a fake blood pipe there's chops down right spray it spray it splatter it on the walls that's just i i mean i i'd heard a lot about it um because you'd said about it and i follow a horror podcast uh, a Facebook page and they were all going on about it and others so I thought fine I'll just I'll bloody watch it it like stay said it short good I've probably got the attention span for it then and I watched it and uh, like you I just I hated the characters and look forward to mm-hmm. them being um, I sort of liked the guy that was the mechanic who actually lived in the town because he turned out to be a somewhat decent bloke yeah yeah and that was about all <laughs> So I just, I didn't really like the young girl that was meant to be our final girl, or, mm. or as you say, or their sister and the bloke that was with them. I did not realise that self-driving cars was a thing either. Oh no! So I, I remember having a conversation on an episode of the Parlour a few years ago with somebody who was talking about the trials of self-driving cars and because i'd never heard of them since i assumed those trials went badly (laughs) but apparently apparently not apparently not driving car but um i found that ending really frustrating because i really just wanted everybody to die um and as much as i appreciated what they were doing with having leatherface doing his little frustration dance Mm-hmm. the end of the first movie it's i don't think it's anywhere near the same because the first movie for me is one of the first horror movies i saw slasher movies i saw where i was genuinely distressed by it after i'd finished because that film is relentless and tense as fuck like the entire time you're just like please get away from these people like please get away from these people and then like anytime you hear a slight buzzing in the background you're like oh god it's like it's like playing resident evil when that character that tries to kill you goes around going stars and you're like oh no he's near but you can't quite see where he is Is um because the original 
if I because I haven't watched the original in a really long time. Mm-hmm. But if I remember correctly, yes, there was some you know some nasty kills in it, but it's not as gory as what today's one is. No, it's 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 not it's so much. There, there are some pretty good kills, but it's yeah. it's more about the tension of the sort of it's chase like, and the trying to get away. It's like I saw in a. And they're absolutely right, because it's true. It's like in the documentary I saw that were talking about it when Leatherface grabs the girl and puts her on the meat hook. And you swear that you see the meat hook and everything, and it ha- but you don't, actually. You, mm. you, don't see it, you don't see it as graphically as your imagination is telling you when you recall it later. And I think mm. that's the blessing of those films then, because Halloween is similar in some regards, so is Nightmare on Elm Street in a way, too although that was quite bloody. But it is the anticipation and the, the tension that builds and the music cues and everything that mm-hmm. love. I mean, this this new Texas... <sighs> when they brought back the original Final Girl, whose <laughs> name I don't remember... <laughs> Sally Hardest. Thank you. And I like that she was a Texas Ranger, because no one fucks with a Texas Ranger. Mm-hmm. And she was all gung... Because I felt like they... I think I said this to you in chat. I felt like they were trying to pull a Jamie Lee Curtis... Yeah. And I don't think it worked as well. And Well, see, I've been thinking about this since we discussed it because I was really annoyed by that idea at first because I was like, why are you going to build up to this big old showdown and then she almost immediately gets a chainsaw right to the fucking yeah. chest. And I was quite cross about it. But now that the, the more I think about it now, the more I think it's quite funny because I think there would have been a lot of people who were watching that and thinking, oh, my God, Sally Hardest, she's going to rock a fucking Halloween. She's going to do a Jamie Lee. She's going to she's going to come back. She's going to fucking chainsaw his head clean off. Yeah. And then she just bites it almost immediately. That's really funny. <laughs> like, like, I thought, actually, that's a really good move because it's like this isn't your mama's Texas chainsaw. That's like people yeah. going to die. It is that kind of, you've been waiting like 30, 40 years to get your comeuppance with old Leatherface, and yet you've mm-hmm. still got a chainsaw in your gut. You survived for about three minutes after, which technically you shouldn't have. No, absolutely. Like, it literally comes out the back of her, and it's still yeah. buzzing. Like, it is churning up churning everything her up. inside her chest. Yeah. The thing that I quite like about that as well as a thing is that, and again, not saying I want realism in my horror movies, mm-hmm. but actually it's much more likely that somebody who spent 30 years fucking mulling over this thing and, and, and plotting their revenge is going to f- fail spectacularly, especially against somebody who is like, I'm just going to come at you with a chainsaw. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to relentlessly come after you with yeah. a chainsaw. You're not going to win. He's huge and he's got a chainsaw. <laughs> like, it was so like perfect that she, like to me that she'd been plotting this revenge for ages, and then it was like the reality of the situation was actually no like you no did. offense no offense Sally but you're a fairly old lady now with a rifle like yeah. what were you what were you thinking <laughs> why didn't you get him in the head several times over also why didn't you just get the fuck out of Dolby living if I If I survived a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'd be living the exact furthest point from Texas, wherever that is on the globe. I'd figure that out and I'd be living there. (laughs) He's not going to follow you. Let's be honest, he's not. And and that was the other thing, because as soon as they went into the old house and the old deer was there and he appeared at the top of the steps, all right, yeah, there's Leatherface. Yeah, there Mm -hmm. he is. Okay, well, there's, there's, I was expecting some kind of uh, surprise, but no, no, just Mm -hmm. obvious. 
and then getting his chainsaw, which miraculously still worked and had fuel in it when he pulled it out <laughs> ripped up wall. And yeah. I mean, I, I did like how it didn't mess around like that though. Yeah. Like it was like there was like I don't know, 15 minutes of setup where the kids are like, oh, we've shown up at this place. Oh, we need to take this Confederate flag down because we're trying to sell these places to progressive people. And fair play, everywhere yeah. needs to take their Confederate flags down. But like it's like. There's this mini bit of setup, and then it's like, how about we get right into this murder? <laughs> and I was just like, this this film doesn't shit around, man. It's 90 minutes of like, let's get it done. Brutal death. I mean, when mm. the guy got killed practically in the kitchen straight away, cool. Went after the older sister and basically went through the house to try and get her, cool. And all the, the bus was probably the best scene. I yeah. was, I mean, I got annoyed towards the end of the third act when. The two sisters are fighting him off and one sort of we're not sure is alive or dead and then appears. She's managed to obviously pull a pipe out of her leg or something. Mm. And then there's help. And then you think that Leatherface is dead and you think, cool, OK, good ending. I don't need a sequel. This is shit. Let's move on. <laughs> and then you get to them in the car moving away and he grabs her from inside the car, pulls her out, has her on her knees and cuts her head off. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. See, again, I quite liked that because I was like, no, don't let her get away. She's awful. <laughs> I didn't expect They're her. all awful. She should. I mean, it's, it was the right the right one to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, for me, it was like I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd because I was like, I cannot in good conscience give it more than an average rating because it is terrible like it's crap like the majority of the acting is bad and it's interesting because elsie fisher who plays the one that i'm not sure okay. let's just say a she and people can correct me if i'm wrong but the one who plays like the final girl yeah. um has been in other things and is good so yeah. I, don't, I don't know what was happening with her but then all the other actors i don't know if i've ever even heard or seen them in anything else I but know. they were not they were they were not good no, um. the, the, the actress who plays the old woman who sadly had the heart attack and died, she's actually, that's Alice, if I'm, I'm going to hopefully get this right, that's Alice Creek who plays the Borg Queen in Star Trek Voyager and I think, oh, Lee's going to kill me. I, <laughs> I think First Contact. Okay. Uh, first, so, and yeah, because there's been like two, two, three, three Borg Queens now, but I think she was that and I liked her. She's a good actress. I mean, Leatherface didn't have to do much but grunt and throw a lot of weapons around, so that was fine. But I, yeah. I find now that I'll watch a movie and it's like you have a, a thought that someone looks familiar, so I'm straight onto IMDb on the phone to mm. try and find out what these people have been in, and I didn't know any of them. Not one. Which is fine, actually, because if this is a film that they later wish to forget about, I will have. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully what they do next will be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um this film was interesting to me because I wasn't expecting to get anything out of it really. And I think that's why I, I didn't want to give it like a one star, even though it is genuine like I can't stress enough how it's not a good film. Yeah. Like I'm not recommending anybody who's listening to this go and watch it. But uh like I say, it was quick, it you know, it, it got in there and it did the job. You know, the writing was pretty bad. The characters were pretty bad. The acting was pretty bad. But the gore was pretty fun. Yeah, wasn't scary at all. No, not not even a lick of tension. <laughs> not even a teeny weeny morsel. Everything um, was coming, but you know, good gore. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I can't I can't say like I I don't, there's been a lot of particularly with like horror films as well because I don't know if you found this but me and Rich when when Rich spent a few years doing the I'm gonna watch a movie a day thing, the mm. one genre we found where there's just like a lot of stuff you can watch is horror movies yeah. because. I feel like pretty much anybody thinks they can make a horror and they are wildly misguided. <laughs> and the, the number of horror movies on my letterbox that are like half a star, one star, one and a half stars is there's just so many. Um, yeah, but I just I couldn't feasibly give Texas Chainsaw like that lower score because once I'd finished watching it, because it was only an hour and a half of my life, I didn't feel like I'd I didn't feel like oh God, I can't believe I watched mm. that like I have with some other films that I've been genuinely like, I'll never get that time back. I'm yeah. close I'm closer to the grave and that's what I chose to do with my time. So <laughs> so um It yeah, wasn't t- like it was the lighthouse or Joker. <laughs> See, I still think there's redeeming factors about the lighthouse because as much as I did not like the film in general, I did enjoy looking at it a lot, and I will always watch Willem Dafoe doing anything, especially if it's yelling about cookery and fish, I do like think- for hours. Like yeah. I could happily watch that, but Joker can fucking get in the bin, man. I mean, the photography of the lighthouse was beautiful, and the thing that made me laugh out loud the most was when he threw their shit out to the sea and the wind was so strong it flew it back into him. Yeah. I laughed so much. (laughs) That was about all, because I fell asleep in some of it. (laughs) See, I stayed awake through it. You probably missed a load of the weird stuff, like when he bones a mermaid and things. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't like it. I didn't. (laughs) I didn't even finish Joker. (laughs) Oh, don't bother. Do nah. not bother. The Joker okay. can absolutely do what the Joker is a movie that thinks it's got really important shit to say about mental health, but it doesn't anything useful. Yeah. The best thing is, for, for your listeners, the best thing is you could go back and listen to an episode of The Parlour. And it was one that stays recorded with our mate Lee, Lee Grice. And he actually gives me an honourable mention by letting Stace know that I've just texted them to say that I've given up on the Joker. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's just not. I no. don't know. No, I can't. I can't even start talking no. about um, Joker. Can we talk about a film I really fucking liked? Because I'm. I haven't talked to you, so I'm really interested to see what you think. And I'm hoping yeah. we don't suddenly stop being friends. Um, <laughs> so this week on Disney Plus of all places, uh, a new sort of horror film dropped called Fresh. Jenny, how did you feel about Fresh? Bear in mind our friendship is hanging in the balance. <laughs> well, well, what? Mm, I can't. <laughs> I can't say that I really. I didn't like it, but I don't mean that as in I didn't like it because of its content. Mm-hmm. It's just the film that I watched. It was very well done. The acting was, I thought, really good. The the, the music was superb, and mm-hmm. and how it was done. I mean that the opening credits about thirty minutes into the film. Quite <laughs> yeah, but it just um oh gosh, I just didn't grab me really. I don't. Oh think. no. I mean, I because I love Sebastian Stan. I want to say. <laughs> yeah, I love him. I think he's great, and he was so good in this role. I don't think I know the actress who played Noah. I can't. I I didn't look her up to see what else she'd been in, and I don't think I know her from anything. And I thought she was great. I thought overall, I thought. You know, the, sto- the story in that and the characters were all very good. It was just not um, 
a horror for me. I think it's partly because I don't necessarily like body horror films. Oh, okay. And this is, I mean, but even though this is, let's be honest, it's about cannibalism, really. Oh, yeah, we're going to spoil the hell out of this. Don't don't worry about (laughs) about that. It's like I don't, I like, I watched the first Saw. That was great. I didn't need to see the rest of them and Mm. all that. It, um, I've kind of said to myself more recently when I think about horror and what horror I enjoy, I definitely enjoy the slasher films. We know that. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy ghost and, and haunted house type horrors. Like, I think The Get Out is a superb film, but I don't find it at all scary or anything like like that. And with this one, I thought it was really friggin' disturbing. And you probably, um, if you haven't been dating lady, you know, you ladies out there, if you haven't been dating for a while, don't watch this film. It will <laughs> want it to go out and dating completely. And don't watch it as a yeah. date movie either on a first date because it will it will question <laughs> so so much <laughs> but it's, it's tricky because I, I don't think it's a bad film I think it is a good film it is just not not for uh, you not for me yeah I don't regret yeah. watching it that's the other thing but it's also one that I don't feel I need to watch again mm-hmm. so okay. I, th- I think that's kind of fair to it yeah but you loved it I think we can stay friends. Yeah, yeah. Is that all right. I think, that I, think that's, that's, yeah, I did that's just fine. say no, it can get in the bin. So. <laughs> no, yeah, you didn't tell me, so it's fine. No, I um, I was really interested by this film because I had no idea what it was about. Literally, I heard a review of it on the Evolution of Horror podcast where the host said, I'm not going to say anything about this except to say that I love it, going not knowing anything. Yeah. Um, so I went in not knowing anything other than, you know, the image that comes up on the screen on Disney Plus when you select the movie, which is actually a little bit of a giveaway about what it's about. But anyway, that <laughs> I've got a little bee in my bonnet about streaming services, spoiling movies with the stills or the posters that they use to advertise them. But that's a whole thing for another day. Um, so all I knew about this. So I knew Daisy Edgar Jones was in it, but I couldn't tell you what else I've seen her in. I'm sure I've seen her in something, but and I knew Sebastian Stan was in it. And now I can take or leave Sebastian Stan. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's been fine in the Marvel Universe. And I think that's all I've seen Same. of him. Um, and I honestly, I could, yeah, I could take or leave him. He's very much of like a, like, he's fine. But it's not, it's not a role that needed, like, you know, it's not a really meaty role anyway that needed somebody with, a, you know, severe acting chops. Like, um, not a you meaty know. role or chops, excellent. <laughs> I love how I'm accidentally getting all these cannibal puns in. I was I wasn't even trying. <laughs> but um I was genuinely surprised by this film because what I really like about it is there's two things I really like about it. Is the first is it does play on like women's fears of online dating in the sense of like, you know, she has that she starts off with this woman having like a shitty date, shitty Tinder date where the guy like doesn't want to pay for the food and he's a bit of a misogynist prick and like uh, and uh, and she's having like a hard time on the apps because she's like oh, all these people are shit and she sort of organically meets somebody in the uh, you know the veggie section of the local supermarket one day and they hit it off a bit it's like it's one of those things where like I don't know a single woman <laughs> in my entire life who would be as suspicious of a man they just met uh, in vegetables uh, as they would be of somebody who they're meeting online because that 
that sort of like veneer of onlineness automatically to me says like I'm not seeing the real person. Um, and I like how it played on that fear of like, oh God, the dating apps when actually it's just like, you know, guys in general, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> which was really clever. But I also thought they really set him up as a character really well mm. in the sense that you can see why they get on together and they're having like why it seems like a good relationship until she wakes up after being drugged in his house and she's chained to the floor and he's like, I might have to chop your leg off to sell to someone <laughs> uh, yeah. because it's a, it'll earn me loads of money. But Sebastian Stan, and not to put a pun on it again, but he eats up this role for Breakfast Man. Like he is having so much fun mm. with playing like a nice, charming guy when he's out on dates and then playing like the oh, well, you know, I've got to get this job. Like, this is my job and this is how I do it kind of thing. But then also, like, every now and again, like, a little bit of sort of maniacalness creeps in. Like, there's a bit where he's sort of, like, dancing around the kitchen while he's, like, cooking up a spleen or something. And you're like, oh, he's so creepy. Like, I thought he was brilliant in it. Um, And the other thing I really liked about the film as well is that it didn't go down the route I thought it would go down of, like, her just trying to escape... Mm. as in trying to break out like there was a lot of manipulation on her side as well in trying to sort of like sweet talk him and it was showing as well the lengths that like people will go to to get out of certain situations so like the fact that she ate human meat (laughs) I was not expecting that at all and she was so chill like secretly Mm. she was she was openly chill about it secretly you know throwing up on the inside and dying a little bit inside but I just loved the way the film played with your expectations of what this sort of like cannibal type movie would be Mm. um and i liked also how i don't know like how i don't know how to describe it but i just i just liked the fact that it wasn't like a film where uh it was all about the gore like there was a there were a few gory scenes but like the worst of it really was just watching him like hannibal style cook up a delicious looking meal that you know is like somebody's butt cheek or something yeah like how distressing is that like i think at one point he serves her up like breast and it's and it's molly's breast it's her friend molly's breast yeah and i'm just like this film oh my god (laughs) like what Uh, yeah it was riveted I mean, I would would say that this is actually quite a sophisticated film in the way it's been done, because it's not it's not your obvious run of the mill, gross out Hannibal Lecter eating people. It's got sophistication. He's actually quite a sophisticated character, even though he's completely off his rocker. And it was and it was clever and it's well, really well written. And I I mean, the fact that she bit his penis off was hilarious um, towards the end. But (laughs) But I know he, he deserved that. He did deserve it. I mean, I was pleased when she did it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I I love the the whole setup in that in that third act where they have dinner together and he's you know and they they do that dance routine which I find I found that a bit amusing, a bit odd, and kind of a so you two just just knew this dance routine. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Okay. Cool. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. His wife though. What the. Um, yeah well I think that was another puzzle that I really liked because mm-hmm. like obviously you know the film ostensibly is about cannibalism but really it's about you know the perils of dating and abusive relationships and yeah. people taking things from you without ever giving things back and things like that and what I quite liked her character in it because mm-hmm. she's she's a very realistic person in the sense of like 
the majority of us would like to think that if we found out that our partners were slithering off bits of ladies and selling them to other gross people for like thousands of pounds mm. that we we wouldn't stick around but it's that thing of being in an abusive relationship isn't it where he's giving her enough to make her sort of feel not involved but sort of in this in this sort of way of sort of pinning her down and keeping her there because did you but it sorry go on I was going to say, because I got this, and maybe it was so obvious that everyone should have done, and did you, but I just felt that she must have been one of his victims originally because she lost her leg. And it, oh, yeah, that's absolutely where I thought it was uh, I going. They, they had, he, you know, he did exactly what he did with the others. He's fooled them into thinking he's someone they can trust, someone they can date, and then he captures them. And does he, is he like fall for her and they get pregnant and have a, a kid? as well as taking her leg and then giving her prosthetic and all of that sort of thing. And that is very, I found that quite interesting. Cause it's sort I guess it's sort of like, um, or it is like is it Stockholm syndrome where you fall in love with your captor and, mm. and all of that. But she, she was cool. I mean, the way that she found his body, he <laughs> gets the shit down and that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like you say, she's just so calm and cool and collected. To say to the the the, the a Native American man, wasn't it, who was there, sort of the guy that did all the delivery of the boxes. We never got introduced to him or even know his name to who he was, I don't think. But he was sort of there as, as their person to help. And he's like, well, let's just clean him up and, and, and get him out of here sort of thing. It's like, huh, OK, no love lost then. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was... Um... It was definitely saying something about the hold that people can have over over other people. Mm. Yeah, I just I, I thought it was really great. I, I think it's definitely a movie I'm going to be going back to, not yeah. frequently because it is grim. <laughs> it's really grim, um, but it's done so well in such a way. And like you say, the music throughout is fantastic. And that title card drop at like 30, yeah. 35 minutes in was oh my god when it's stuck because it, it signifies the point of the movie where it changes from because it does kind of feel like a cheesy rom-com at it the does. start it's where it's like oh they're having a meet cute in the yeah. in the supermarket it's it's a completely different thing that i thought it was and even at that point you weren't 100 percent sure where it was going because mm. i <laughs> i have this thing and other people have it too it's not just me being weird I don't like hearing people chew. Or oh, yeah, it's gross. I, yeah, it's really gross. I hate that. And there was quite a bit of that in this movie sometimes. It's like, oh, I enjoy I enjoy that, it, you know, less than you chopping up someone. Mm. Um, I mean, I did question the um, cutting off her butt cheeks. And it made me question the timeline of how long she was there and the healing process. And I know he said he cauterized like her backside wounds to quicken the healing process but i yeah it but that's that's like standard horror movie questioning reality of, of mm. a little bit but i it did mean that i was sat through sometimes a film thinking so she's got no butt cheeks now Wonder when <laughs> oh this if she'll go have like plastic surgery to have them <laughs> me and rich were talking about that after the film finished and i was like i'm sure this is not what the director was thinking we'd all be discussing when it finished <laughs> but like because what I liked, what I quite liked about it was that, like, throughout the film, you could see that she's still walking funny and she has a real hard time sitting down and standing up and, like, um, she's, like, hobbling a lot and stuff. And I was saying to Rich, like, because Rich said to me, he was like, the thing is about your bum, right, is that 
if you chopped off your leg, it, it's terrible and it's shit. But prosthetics are great now and you can get a really good mm. leg and you'll be 99% your old self yeah. pretty much. He's like, but I, he said, oh, I don't know if I could cope with having no sensation in my butt. Like you yeah. feel like you're not even sitting on a chair. Yeah. Like, it's just like it's just been so weird. And I, um, I, was, I was like watching her costumes and that as well, and I'm thinking I feel like they've put in some extra padding on that to like to like flatten her ass cheeks mm. and that. So to so so now, and like yeah, I'm thinking this cannot be what the director was hoping <laughs> looking at and thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I think it says a lot about the film though. Is that I was thinking hard about like you know yeah like relationships and yeah mixed between men and women and all of this sort of stuff but i was also thinking about butt cheeks yeah so i think that's a, a sign of a good movie really if it's made me think about enough and also bums exactly yeah and you know, <laughs> like we said the music was great i really loved the set piece as well like um i assume that the two places we saw with the really plush and nice furniture were both his because i can't remember if we saw noah's place but I always thought that all the furniture in the apartment and that looked really cool. And I'd like to have those in mind, but not at the mm. expense of being a cannibalist psychopath. Yeah. No, I think we do see her apartments towards the start a couple of times because her best friend the whole way through is like, I can't believe you let him come to your house this soon. You fucking donkey. <laughs> she's She's got her head on a swivel. I love that. I was like, I need a best friend like this. Somebody yeah. who's going to immediately notice if I am gone. <laughs> Who I did really like was the barman, the barman who, um, name I can't remember, but Molly uh, exchanged numbers with and and shared her location with. And he was out driving to go go and find her and got to the house where they were (laughs) and heard the gunshots and that. And he's like, no, fuck this. And he was out of there. And I'm like, yes, yes. Don't be a trope. You get out of there. Don't be the hero. Leave. Yeah. Another very good reaction move. (laughs) in a movie to an insane situation because if i heard a gunshot from anywhere i'd be like hiding under a table or getting into a car and noping right on out of there as well <laughs> it's like bang nope <laughs> just off i go yeah yeah no i thought it was a fantastic film and i think it's um i'm definitely going to keep an eye out for more of uh mimi cave's work mm-hmm. um yeah. because i think it was a really well directed but like I, I can understand why it wasn't for you now that i'm hearing about your issues with people eating on screen yeah. and body horror and that sort of thing so i can get now why it's not <laughs> it's not a jenny friendly yeah. film yeah it's not a um, movie, but i think it was beautifully made and yeah well done and like you i would look out for more from the director um because i i might be wrong but i I do feel like in horror i sometimes feel like we get more female directors there yeah some other genres and i and i i absolutely love that so yeah i hope to see more of her work as and when it comes out me too i've got one horror movie left that i briefly wanted to talk about and it will be very brief okay because again it's another one that's technically not good for, <laughs> but but i had a good bit of fun with it during like some of the covid lockdown times the foo fighters made a horror film <laughs> and it is essentially the story of the the band uh renting out a, a house that may or may not have uh, a demon haunting it um to write their new album and uh no it definitely did have a demon haunting it and now it's in dave Grohl, and now he's murdering everybody <laughs> the film that's the film it's it's so bad in the sense that like none of the band 
are actors and you can tell Pat Smear in particular is so unutterably charming because he's so bad but he's clearly having the time of his life like he's having so much fun just running around this house with his mates like with blood everywhere and things getting murdered and people getting like sawn in half and shit like it's just it's it's terrible and it, it feels like it was made on a even though it's the Foo Fighters so they probably had quite a big budget it feels like it was made on the budget of a shoestring um with like a handful of cameras it's pretty much all in this one house uh aside from the Foo Fighters there's like two other actors in it <laughs> like it's not you know because of Covid it was a very sort of small operation but it's really fun because it's just like Dave Grohl sort of whinging a bit about not being able to write a song and then he accidentally gets a demon inside of him and he's like I'm gonna write the best fucking song you've ever fucking heard and then doing a load of murders <laughs> and there's some really funny ones too there's some very good kills like I was like oh I was not expecting that so yeah I just wanted to mention that it's called Studio 666 okay. um, and I will say as well for the people that um, didn't potentially like the last Foo Fighters album uh, of which I was one in the sense that it's not bad but it is boring um, the music in this film is better than anything they've released for quite some time <laughs> like it's just like an instrumental like rock song that's like trying to summon some sort of extra horrible demon yeah. um, but it's really good a lot of people, apparently Rich was saying that a lot of people online were complaining that there was too much music in the movie. And I was like, it's about the Foo Fighters. I don't know what you would be expecting. Who is it actually a horror musical? Uh, I wouldn't say so, but only because when I think of musicals, I think of like choreographed dance routines and full blown <laughs> songs. Whereas this is very much like a lot of it is people just like noodling and jamming, trying to write a song kind of thing. Like it's not even really just a film with music. It's just yeah. <laughs> yeah but like there's a great sequence where two people are like about to start having sex and they get sawn in half through the bed and stuff so it's, like, it's just like what um so again it was another one where i was like i can't in good conscience recommend it as a good movie but it's really fun and i think it was only about like 90 minutes 100 minutes so it's again yeah. short and sweet so yeah i would i would recommend watching that if you can get hold of it because it's a bit of a laugh okay well yeah. I have two things I would recommend. One is horror, horror adjacent, and the other one isn't at all. Okay. So I started watching, actually, I purposely got the Stars channel, S-T-A-R-Z, channel through Amazon, Mm -hmm. for not very much money for six months because it is showing a new show called Shining Veil. Okay. Stars Courtney Cox and Mira Savino as well. And I'll give you the plot, the short, the very short plot outline that IMDb gives it, which is a family moves to a small town into a house in which terrible atrocities have taken place. But no one seems to notice except for Pat. That's who Courtney Cox plays, who's convinced she's either depressed or possessed. Turns out the symptoms are exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) She plays um, a writer who had a really successful novel, but she's been basically blocked since then and she's had issues with alcohol and, and and other stuff and issues in her marriage and greg is it kinnear kinnear yeah yeah uh, plays her husband and they have two teenage kids as well and it's really weird it's got a kind of a haunted house kind of psycho schizo vibe to it as well and it's really mm-hmm. quite clever and mira savino plays this sort of 1950s 1960s 
looking housewife and she is so off kilter it's not even true she's like batshit crazy and she seems to possess Courtney Cox's character and is helping her write her new novel and just some absolute batshit crazy stuff happens there's like there's not been any deaths or anything yet but I wouldn't you know say there won't be Mm -hmm. just some really weird shit going on and it's been really fun and it's probably one of the best things I've seen Courtney Cox do for a while she's she's one of the best things about it her and Mira Savino are superb so if you can get a hold of looking at that I I would recommend that one and then on the completely opposite end of the scale is uh Disney Pixar's Turning Red yay I loved this god I loved that film so much it was was one I'd been hearing about but I didn't really know much about and then there was this whole controversy blown out of proportion by the head reviewer and men basically who were upset that it was a film about young girls going through puberty in their periods it's like oh sickening (laughs) because they couldn't you know connect with that oh you pussies but I loved it. I thought it was really sweet, really fun. I love Sandra O. Oh anyway. She's just brilliant. I thought it was a really great story. I thought the animation was super. I uh, mm. had a lot of fun watching it. I really did. Me too. I said to Rich, there's like a scene right towards the start of the film when she very first turns into a, a red panda, which was, Ooh. you know, a fairly obvious um, sort of analogy for going through puberty and periods yeah. um where she shapes like ah oh, the big red monster and i just looked at rich and i was like i can't believe my periods i love it because, because like i know a lot of people have been saying oh you know my my young kids have been watching this and oh it's about periods and oh well, i don't have to have that conversation yet blah 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 but like periods can happen from the age of about nine like like i was a very late bloomer in terms of uh of my hitting puberty like i was knocking on 15 before (laughs) before anything exciting happened in my bod yeah um but i did know somebody uh at primary school who started when she um, and I think if I hadn't had those conversations with my mom, because my mom was well on the ball with making sure that me and Zoe knew, me and my sister Zoe <laughs> knew what would go down with our uh, biological bits and bobs. Yeah, I a thousand percent would have thought that girl was dying in the middle of the class if yeah. I hadn't had those conversations. And I think these are important conversations to have with any gender children as well, because like. I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a stalker of the Am I the Asshole subreddit. Which, <laughs> it is, it's just a Reddit place where people go and say, right, here's a situation I got myself in. Am I the dickhead or is this other person the dickhead? And there are so many stories of blokes being like, am I the asshole? Because I didn't know that women can't hold in their periods. And I told my girlfriend to go to the shop and get her own pads when she came on unsuspectingly at my house. And I'm like, oh, this is why we need need this. Like, we need to talk about these things. Because first of all, it's perfectly natural bodily function that zero people should ever be ashamed of. I don't know why as a society we've been like, oh, my God. Don't talk about periods. Don't say, <laughs> yeah, like, what are we What are we thinking? Talking about periods. Shh. Um, but, think- like, it just, it just baffles me that people are so uncomfortable with it, especially because the movie, to me, felt blatant because I am a person who has grown up and knows about periods. Mm. But I don't think if I was nine and I didn't know what periods were that I'd get that and it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> 
like I don't think I'd be bounding up to my mum and being like, when am I going to turn into a red panda then? Aye. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think that's the same. I think, yes, to an extent it was, that you know, the parts of it were obvious that's what it was about, but also it was, it was subtle at the same time. You know, yeah, and it's I mean, very much a film about parental expectations as well. Yeah. Like, it's not just a film about periods. It's a film about, like, how that can affect your uh, relationship with your parents and, yeah. you know, your relationship with your friends and yeah. your hormones. And I mean, I loved the bit where she was doodling in her book uh, about the, yeah. the guy from the local shop. Because yeah. I was like, I remember what I was like at, like, 12 and 13. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't even hit puberty yet, but I was... A thousand percent writing Escaflone fan fiction in my spare time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the scene where, you know, she's just turned into the panda and she's freaking out and her mum is checking on her. Her mum goes straight to their bathroom and she starts pulling out ibuprofen, you know, pills, pads, things, all the things that, you know, young girl is probably going to. And I love that. Oh, that's yes. Spot on. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Love it. But it's just, even the. Um, the friendship group as well, her three friends. I loved them. I thought they were it's like, yeah, that was what my friendship group was like at that age as well. I don't remember her name because I'm terrible at remembering things. But the short one with the dark hair who yeah. had like a very sort of gremlin type energy. Yeah. I, I loved her. That's great. Like I was like, she's the girl I wish I was when I was at school because she's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it. I loved that film. And like you said, I think the animation in it was wonderful. I loved it. Um, it's the, the, I think the only gripe I had, I mean, I loved it because I like seeing how animation is growing. Mm-hmm. And it was a definite type of animation because I also then watched, there's a, um, there's a making of about it as well. Okay. Really interesting to watch because they discuss their concept of how, how they brought about the look of everything as well and their their inspiration and because there's a female director a female producer and oh my goodness so she's like the creative director or something but it, it was a very much an all-female team mm-hmm. still sadly really unusual yeah for somewhere as big as Pixar as well and two of the like the director and I want to say the creative director and I'm sorry if I've got that position name wrong but they're both um asian american as well mm-hmm. which is superb because you're getting you know i get to like this film and raya and even crazy rich asians which i just i love that film and this will sound really stupid and everything but i'm just loving seeing these films of these cultures and sort of starting to learn little bits more about their culture as well because like there's a stereotypical thing you know that we had thrown in our faces a lot but I'm really enjoying seeing these stories come through now more and more and I don't understand how majority of these people that get so wound up about it oh well it's like that review that you referenced um Mm. uh, earlier like the thing that really bothers me about that is like he was saying that he did the movie was bad because there was nothing for him to relate to in it yeah and all I could think about was like but how do you think People of any minority, whether that's a, you know, sexuality, gender and ethnicity, like how do you think they feel when like the majority of stories have been about white dudes? Yeah. Like like forever. Maybe there's a token girl. Maybe there's a token ethnicity (laughs) that's not white. Like, you know, so many, so many stories have got like nothing for people to relate to, but that doesn't make them bad stories because they're still 
entertaining and well told and well acted and well animated or you know whatever and it really bothered me because I was like what a close-minded yeah boring world that man must live in if the only stories he wants to see are stories that completely reflect his own experiences of life like why don't you want to learn about new and exciting things like what's wrong with you is it um i might get the title wrong is it encanto disney's in, is it encanto yeah, yeah yeah i watched that and i really enjoyed that as well because everyone was so hype about it and i didn't get overly hyped about it but i did really enjoy it and think it was a lovely film and i liked a lot of the music not all of the songs but i did like a lot of them and I was reading a piece, um, a small article about that, and it, um, a young girl had written to Disney, you know, asking the animation side, you know, that will they ever do um, a film that has a, a young girl with like curly hair, just like her, who wears glasses, just like she does, because she doesn't see that represented in anything mm. in that. And at the time, they were they were you know making Encanto and all of this, and they couldn't say to her that's that's gonna that's coming. But it's things like that and the Gina Davis film, uh, I forget what it's called, but like organisation thing that she has, where it's all about if she can see it, she can be it. If they can see it, they can be it. And it's basically saying what we've been is that representation matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's matter, it matters more and more each day. And it's just that people are being more vocal about it now. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, I I will freely admit that if you'd have said to me about 10 years ago, like, oh, does it bother you that there's no there's not that many women in, you know, say the front of the superhero film? I'd be like, eh, no, it doesn't matter. But after there were two things that said to me, like, oh, like now I understand why representation really matters. And it was the sequence in Bojack Horseman where Todd Chavez comes out as asexual. And I was like, oh, and had like a huge cry. Uh, And it was the and it was uh, Wonder Woman seeing Wonder Woman at the cinema absolutely wept. (laughs) Like I was like, I can't believe I've been sitting here thinking, no, it's okay that all of our movies are Captain America and Indiana Jones and the Hansel. I mean, well, Star Wars is a bad example because Leia's there and she's wonderful. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, like, you know, they're always either not the star of the movie, like they're alongside another guy or they're just barely even there at all. And it was like watching her, the No Man's Land sequence. Like, I was legitimately, like, like I was crying my eyes out because I was like, she's so strong and powerful, but also compassionate and beautiful and elegant. And she's just, like, owning every bit of space on this screen right now. And I just lost my mind. Um, and that was when I realised, like, oh God, I can't believe that we've been, like, doing this to so many other people of different minorities. Like, it, it baffles me that people don't want to see that like personally i really disliked encanto <laughs> it's not a fame um, at all there, there are elements that i enjoyed yeah uh, I, I thought it was beautiful i think it's one of the most beautiful films yeah. that they've made like the way that that house moves and oh, everything is oh, absolutely is. stunning but i didn't like most of the songs and i also sort of hated that subplot of bruno being in the wall because it felt very like putting a gay person in a closet to me i don't know if that was just me getting some bad subtext like but it. Like the family sort of like shunning him because of who he is, kind of thing. I was like, I don't like any of that. Um, But also with Lin Manuel Miranda's music sometimes as well. Um, He has a tendency to write songs with very quick fire uh, lyrics, which are great in the sense that like it's very, it's technically very good. 
Mm. But when all of the songs are trying to convey information to you, I need to be able to grasp all of that information. I can't have, like, words just fired at me to a point where I don't know what's... Like, the opening song that introduced the family, Mm -hmm. there were a good four family members I couldn't tell you the name of, even once the movie ended, because I didn't pick them up in the song and I didn't pick them up in the rest of the movie. And I was watching it. I wasn't, like, fannying on my phone or anything. Like, I was properly paying attention. But the, like, the song just, like, farts out all this information info at you and I was like what even the fuck <laughs> the song that um, I just didn't like at all was the you know the the sister who's really strong and that and she had a whole song to herself and I just thought it was boring as fuck I couldn't wish it that was the only song I liked surface pressure it's like yeah. it goes on about we don't talk about Bruno and I it's like that's not right it's fine number you know but yeah. like, you know I, like i say there are things about the that were beautiful there's things about it in its storytelling that were really lovely too yeah. in the whole um storytelling of how her grandmother you know carried on and built this this community helped build this community mm-hmm. and her whole that whole story and her grandfather sacrificing himself was heart-wrenchingly sad and you think fuck disney yeah well done you know, you do it again. Disney are great at um, murdering family members and your heartstrings. <laughs> they really, really are. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, but I do. I was glad to see like a story set. So it's like when Coco came out. I was like, I'm so happy that we do. I mean, I don't. I can't vouch for the accuracy of what that tells you about you know the Day of the Dead and stuff. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. But I was like, it was just so refreshing to see a different culture on screen and like getting these little bits of information that I wouldn't necessarily be soaking up myself. Um, speaking of soaking up, I've been needing a wee for a good half hour. I was going to say. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, what I was going to say was, is we've only got the little songy section left to do. So if we can like really blitz through that, I think I can hold on to it. So like, <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Um, Jenny, what song would you like to recommend to everyone to have a little listen to this month? Uh, well, we're considering uh, the, the, subject of one of the films we've discussed today Def Leppard's Pour Some Sugar (laughs) (laughs) I like that song I think it's a great song and um yeah I thought that's that's rather apt for uh for this recording I think yeah (laughs) <laughs> definitely when uh a, a while ago i was a friend of mine was in an, a, a band where he was um every song being like a parody cover but it had to relate to animals because the band was called Girafrica, and i kept pitching possum sugar on me but he couldn't figure out how to make it work um Aww. yeah it was a bit of a shame the song i picked this month mm. is oh by the linda lindas now the Linda Linders are a band that I'd never heard of until like they went very viral last year, which happened because uh, they're a band of uh, Asian-American and Latino uh, kids. Mm-hmm. And they're very good, very, very good punk band. The drummer, who is one of the <laughs> Asian-American kids, basically got had an experience with a boy who just, you know, basically blamed her for COVID kind of, you know, gross uh racist thing so they wrote a song called racist sexist boy about this kid, about this kid um and a performance of it at the la library went viral uh c- completely unsurprisingly because it's a genuinely really very good song and also it's about a racist sexist boy <laughs> um she got called out son but so since then they've obviously like become more um part of the like mainstream and uh, i believe their album's coming out 
I want to say next month, but I could be talking shit. Mm. So, uh, so maybe ignore me on that front. Um, but this song is called Oh. It's one of their latest singles, and it is uh, a cracking tune. I agree. I, li- I listened to it today when you when you told me about it, and I listened to it. I thought, yeah, that's got it's, and it's got a it's got kind of a real for me kind of a retro feel to it too. Well, they were apparently very inspired by bands like Bikini Kill and stuff. Yeah. Um, which I, I think you can definitely feel uh, in some of the tracks, and I'm I'm very excited to be hearing more from them with their album later this year. And on that note, Jenny, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's probably the best place at Angel J Five, and that's that's where you can find me. <laughs> Splendid. Uh, everybody knows where they can find me. Jenny, it's been an absolute dream as per usual. As ever. I love, love talking to you, my darling. Thank you for popping by the parlour and everyone else. I'll see you next month. <laughs> I don't know why I paused there as though I'd forgotten what my own fucking schedule is. Monthly or not? <laughs> Definitely am a monthly show. So, yeah, see you next month, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. To get in touch with me, the titular Stace, you can follow me on Twitter at Stacey's Parlour, send an email to stacysparlour at gmail.com or come and join the Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour Facebook group. If you'd like to leave a review for the show, please do so on Apple Podcasts or over at podchaser.com. If you like what you heard enough to want to give me some money, which would be quite spectacular actually, you can go to coffee.com forward slash Parlour. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Stacey's Parlour. The music that you're hearing right now is by the amazing band Starbomb and you should really check them out on Spotify, iTunes or on their website. Thanks for stopping by and I'll see you next month. Mwah!